Did Don Draper really buy the world a Coke? Did Tony Soprano really die or just order more onion rings? The finales of our favorite shows can make us argue, make us cry, and make us crazy. From Spotify and The Ringer, I'm Andy Greenwald, and this is Stick the Landing, a new podcast where we'll be telling the story of modern TV backwards, one fade out at a time. Find Stick the Landing on Wednesdays on the Prestige TV feed, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On April 3rd, the Walt Disney Company will be hosting its annual meeting of shareholders, and we need you all to vote for your board. It's important you vote only for Disney's 12 nominees using the white proxy card. Do not vote for the Tryon Group or Blackwell's nominees. Learn more at VoteDisney.com. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. It is Friday, March 1st. I think most people who listen to this show know that the Oscars are preceded by months of campaigning to win the attention and ultimately the votes of Academy members. It's a whole economy, a big one. Not that different from a political campaign with these speeches and campaign stops. In this case, screenings and film festivals and parties and precursor shows like the Globes and the SAG Awards. We just came to the end of all that as voting ended on Tuesday and the stars went into hiding for a week and a half before the actual Oscars. Having said all that, I don't think most people realize how much thought and strategy and money goes into these campaigns. To really do it properly, you need a narrative. A story to tell potential voters and the media, which is usually determined by a dedicated campaign strategist based on how the media is covering the film. And of course, the candidate themselves does have a say in this, usually the director for the films or the actors for individual races. The New Yorker just ran an interesting piece on this subject by Michael Schulman, who wrote a whole book about the history of Oscar campaigns called Oscar Wars. It's very fun. He gets into some of the narratives in recent campaigns. Last year, for instance, Everything Everywhere All at Once was the, quote, little movie that could. And that subtle messaging helped get voters invested in its success and ultimately helped it win Best Picture. Michelle Yeoh, who won for actress for that movie, she was the seasoned star who has never got her due. That's a frequent narrative. We're seeing it in this campaign season with Paul Giamatti and the holdovers. He's also running the Make Good for an Egregious Oscar Snub campaign because he was never even nominated for Sideways. There's the discoveries like Lily Gladstone, the Hollywood royalty campaign. That's Robert Downey Jr. this year. You get what we're talking about. So now that the campaigns are over, it's time to break them down and evaluate who did well, what worked, what didn't, and overall, what was most effective. So we got Michael Schulman in here, the author of that book, to do it with me. Today, it's the award season awards. Cue some fancy music, Craig. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Michael Schulman, who is a staff writer at The New Yorker and the author of one of my favorite books about the Oscars called Oscar Wars, which is out in paperback, right? Welcome, Michael. It is. Thanks for having me back. Yes, you were on last year talking about dirtiest Oscar campaigns. And today we're talking about the narrative. So I want to do some award season awards here. I want you and I to anoint winners in a bunch of different categories 
and we're going to go through them. I sent them to you in advance, but we do not know our answers. So this will be a surprise to me. I'm very curious what you say. Let's start with the big one. Best campaign. And this can be a movie or it can be an individual. Give me your choice. Okay, I'm going to say Robert Downey Jr. Oh, that was mine. All right, but give, me your, <laughs> give me your rationale. I have, I have a backup too, so give me your rationale. Okay, I, I mean, just looking at his overall career arc, obviously Robert Downey Jr. has had such highs and lows throughout his career, but he is running the campaign of guy who is who has made tons of money for everybody in Hollywood, knows everyone in Hollywood, has worked with everyone. As soon as I saw, you know, there was this um, sort of threat from uh, Charles Melton earlier in the in the year that yeah. didn't pan out, obviously. But as and, soon as I saw- And Gosling. People were absolutely. talking Gosling. It's, it's, it's not an easy category. And as soon as I saw him give his uh, Golden Globe speech, you just remember, oh, right, he's Robert Downey Jr. Also, Gosling has always been considered this like, charm magnet and he charms people you know uh, in settings where it's up close with voters and he's sort of been neutralized by Downey like he's been out charmed absolutely he has off the charts charisma and i think his sense of humor has lightened the entire uh vibe around oppenheimer and even rubbed off on Christopher Nolan, who has managed to appear with him and be funny, which I don't think anyone thought Christopher Nolan was. Right, exactly. I totally agree with you. This He falls into the Oscar royalty done good category. Where well, yeah, like, like, like Jamie Lee Curtis last year, I think totally, was that. Totally. This person has been in our lives, been in our business, has supported the business, has you know put in the time, and now it's their moment. And I mean, the Jamie Lee Curtis performance, whatever, it was fine. I don't think she would even say it's the best of her career. Downey's actually is pretty damn good, even though it's sort of like tacked on at the end. And I think that, you know, the fact that he has been nominated in the past, has gone on this roller coaster career and emerged where he is and is now returning to doing, quote unquote, serious work. It all came together. And then you get up, you get him in front of a room and the guy is gold. I think when you're a campaigner, you look at this, you're like, okay, he is our asset here. Uh, there was a, you know, those, the blind ballots that the trades publish uh, this time of year, like the anonymous right, voters. Right. One of them, the THR published one this week where a, a legitimate person who sounded pretty smart. Otherwise it was anonymous said, I'm not going to lie. I voted for Downey because he came up to me unsolicited at a party and said, hello. <laughs> well, there you have it right there. That is why Oscar season exists. Yes. And, he, and, <laughs> you and, know? and after that, the guy was like, campaigning matters. And I'm like, okay, yes, it does. I mean, it's interesting to me that they're still doing those anonymous ballots because the Academy explicitly outlawed them this year and that didn't stop them. No, people do them. Any I mean, what are they going to do? If, if they were on the record, I could see it. But like people love to vent. I used to edit those. And I knew who the people were. And like, they love it. They love to exact revenge because they've been going to these screenings and shaking hands for five months. And they love to ha feel important. And their opinion matters. I mean, I love them too. I love the outrage they cause because right. people are like, wait, who's, who's voting for this thing? <laughs> I know because regular people don't realize that, you know, if someone was rude to you at a premiere in the 70s, that can keep like that can come back to haunt you 40 years later when you're up for an Oscar. Yeah. So yeah, my, my runner up is poor things. I think poor things has done a great campaign. Um, that slogan for phase two defy everything. I think that's a good slogan that appeals to creative people and their sensibility. They want to see themselves as, 
people who break against the mold. And in this case, Oppenheimer is the mold. So I think that was that was smart. Um, all right, worst campaign. Okay, this is a tricky one. And just mm-hmm. give me a moment to sort through my thoughts about it. I think it's Origin, the Ava DuVernay film. <laughs> but that didn't get the reviews. That was a neon film. And I know Ava DuVernay mm-hmm. is upset that she did not. She doesn't feel that neon supported her film the way that she would have liked it to be supported. Um, but that didn't get, like, you got, at some point, you got to have the juice. And uh, some of the critics loved it. A lot acknowledged that it was sort of narrative free. You think this was a, a missed opportunity? I didn't personally like it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it really worked. It's a very complicated idea to sell because it's based on a nonfiction book about um, structural inequality across societies, but it's not actually an adaptation of the book. It's about the author writing it. Um, very difficult sell. And a lot of Avery Dugenet's, um interviews as we got into award season were sort of complaining that she wasn't getting awards attention. And I think, you know, and she specifically critiqued, you know, the marketing and distribution of the film. Uh, And I just, I think that it's probably very well-founded as critique of award season of probably whatever Neon was doing um, and how sort of Black filmmakers specifically are, are marketed. But I just think it played into the sense of, of grievance that, you know, people associate with her. And I just don't think as a campaign strategy, it gets people to actually watch. No, telling people they're bad people for not voting for a movie is not a way to get people to vote for the movie. Right. So again, I feel like every, nothing that she said was like incorrect or, 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 you know, wrong. I, I think she's, she's very thoughtful about this stuff, but I don't think it worked as any kind of, you know, award strategy. And I also think whatever complaints she have with, has with Neon, you know, I think whatever they were doing didn't work either. Yeah. Although Neon took this film when others would not. So uh, good on them for that. All right. Uh, My vote for worst campaign is Maestro. I I, I just feel like uh, the Bradley Cooper media machine, for whatever reason, backfired on him and turned him into this villain of award season where people turned on the movie and decided that it was a vanity play, that it was more about Bradley Cooper and his desire for an Oscar than it was about Leonard Bernstein and whatever you know he was after in the movie. Um, some of his quotes are kind of hilarious now. I mean, he seems to have gone completely off the rails. He's giving interviews about walking around naked in his house. I don't know what he's doing. That photo of him on the cover of New York Times Magazine floating in a freezing river in upstate New York. Like, what was he thinking there? I just feel like he's made a number of missteps. And Netflix, I know that they put a lot of money behind it, but it just didn't work. Allow me to defend Bradley Cooper for a moment. Oh, please do. Because, yes, I did just write about this, about sort of this <laughs> perception that has stuck onto him of being like the tryhard who just wants it so much. And maybe we should just give him an Oscar before he has a you know psychotic break. Um, <laughs> I think that happened, by the way, but go ahead. I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know in his heart if this man wants an Oscar more than, you know, Annette Benning does or, you know, Robert they Downey Jr. Is. They all want it. They, they all just, do. They keep it bottled inside. And then, but for him, with him, for some reason, it just came splattering out all over us. And they're all campaigning is the thing. I mean, there was a certain point last December where I was, Charles Melton of May, December was sending out to certain VIP people, uh, 
jars of kimchi from his family kimchi recipe that he was making with his mother. I know because I received one um, after I went to a May-December event. Was it delicious? uh, I, I I gave it away as a prize at my New Year's Eve party. <laughs> so it was the grand prize. I always- Charles my New Year's Eve party, kimchi? <laughs> yeah, I always give, I have games on New Year's and I, I give away pieces of promotional swag I've received throughout the year. Like another prize was the fast drying towel from Nyad with Annette Benning on it. Wow. Um, so like, yeah, that, and then I, I saw Charles Melton at the New York Film Critics Circle Awards and was like, I asked him, do you, did you, are you really making all this kimchi? He's like, yeah, you know, I had to tell them I couldn't do it after a while because like my fingers were bleeding. So, oh my you God. Know, why hasn't he, why wasn't he pegged as like the over campaigner, the overzealous campaigner if he's literally making kimchi? But nobody knew who he was. Like, of course he is because this is his shot to make it, to be someone. Bradley Cooper arguably doesn't need to do all this. He just wants it. I think part of what happened with Cooper is that it's not just that he is sort of in this movie. He he cast himself in this role, made this movie so he could play this American genius in the prosthetic nose and everything. And I think it's easy to think of something like that as, uh, and then he's going around talking about how he, you know, spent six years learning to conduct. We've heard that over and over and over again. Right. I think I think it's easier to peg that movie as a vanity project more than, say, Annette Benning, who we've also heard, you know, swam eight hours a day to, you know, play Diana Nyad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, so I don't know if it's that he is doing anything particularly wrong, except just being like a very earnest person with his heart on his sleeve, uh, which tends to sometimes irk people. Like we saw that with, you know, Anne Hathaway 11 years ago with Les Miserables, yeah. like the, yeah. the theater kid energy. I think that's easy to sort of laugh at. But she won. She won. She can laugh all the way to the bank because she's got an Oscar on her uh, nightstand. I don't know. I think it was a really rough period for her for about, you know, five to 10 years. Um, but I just think the narrative of Brown Maestro kind of got away from him as early as, you know, the first picture of the prosthetic nose. That's all anyone talked about for months before the movie came out. Um, And finally, the last thing I'll say in defense of Bradley is that, you know who's thirsty for an Oscar? Netflix. You know, it's not just Bradley. It's the company that has been throwing millions and millions of dollars for years at trying to get Oscars, and they are thirsty as well. Right. And And the studios do nudge these talents to do more and more and more stuff. You have to affirmatively say, no, guys, I'm not doing this. Or no, I actually don't want to float down the river uh, for the cover of New York Times Magazine. So Also in his defense, I don't think he says what goes on the cover. You know, he did do the photo No, but I think he did it thinking, what do I got to do to get on the cover? I know they're (laughs) photographing all my rivals here. What can I do that's going to get me on the cover? It's like, oh, go in my underwear, float in the river, boom. Cover. He could, I think he could have won some points with a little bit of Robert Downey Jr. style, just self-deprecating humor. Yeah. You know, true. when you don't, don't have know any humor about him. yourself, you know, it's it, people just kind of get sick of it. All right. Best narrative. I had Annette Benning here for the a career worth celebrating. Um, I thought that was a really smart narrative. I don't think it's gonna work. She's not gonna win. But what do you have for best narrative, movie or individual? I'm calling this narrative Leo Loves Lily. Continue your thought, but I have this in biggest misstep, but keep going. Well, for Leo, I mean, yes. but I don't think, I don't think that DiCaprio 
needs another Oscar, and I don't think that it would have served the movie in general for him to be campaigning really right, so hardcore. Tell, so explain what happened. So, I mean, well, Leonardo DiCaprio wasn't nominated for Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, his co-stars, De Niro and Lily Gladstone, were. Um, but he's all of his appearances and interviews have been just so much about sort of how much support he's given Lily Gladstone the the day of the nominations he um you know he had like an Instagram post where he was talking about how proud he was of her and how you know she's the fourth indigenous woman to be uh nominated but the first a native american to be nominated in the category like he 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 is he's presenting himself as the support for her and his star power is kind of kind of uh rubbing off on her Try to find a photo of Leo solo from this award season. They do not exist. It is always Leo with Lily Gladstone attached to the hip. And look, at the end of the day, that Best Actress might be the only award that Killers of the Flower Moon wins. And so I think it is smart for the film. It's not, it's not you know, what you do if you, Leo, want to win, you know, your next Oscar. But... I think in general, it was the way to present that film to voters and to uh, and to really prop her up as a star and as the lead actress of the film. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I just think it's a misfire for Leo. I mean, at the end of the day, he does want a nomination. Everybody does. Um, he wasn't willing to campaign solo. He did all the stuff to pump her up and it worked. But the cost of that was that he did not get nominated. I wonder if he's going to show up at the Oscars. I actually doubt it. You know, not nominated. Um, you know, it would be a nice shot of him standing up for her if she wins, but there's a lot of hassle going to the Oscars. I doubt he's going to go. He didn't show up for Titanic when he wasn't nominated. That's true. Um, all right. My biggest campaign misfire, other than the Leo thing, is I think we have to give out some AWOL awards. The campaigns that just didn't show up, that could have been there, but they didn't either spend or do it. Big one for me was Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Mm, which yeah. was the extremely well-reviewed movie from earlier this year, could have been a contender. Rachel McAdams hates the campaign, did not. She could have gotten nominated, uh, just didn't show up. Lionsgate is trying to sell itself right now, didn't put the money behind the campaign. So misfire, gave up some Oscar noms. I totally agree. Um, mine is uh, May, December, and specifically uh Vili Falau, the guy who was, you know, from the scandal that it's loosely based on, uh, oh, the Mary Kay Letourneau scandal. Right, that's a uh, Netflix movie, Todd Haynes, mm -hmm. starring, Rich, uh, starring Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore. Yeah, only got nominated for uh, original screenplay, mm -hmm. uh, which infuriated me. I mean, I, I, I really feel like the Academy has some kind of issue with Todd Haynes. He keeps giving us great movies, <laughs> and they keep like not nominating movie. him for Best I, Director. I, like I loved it. I loved it. And especially Portman. There are like three or four clips yes. from that movie that are like glaring Oscar clips. Like she's literally talking into the camera for like two minutes straight. I know. It's an amazing feast of acting and it didn't get nominated for any actors. It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, infuriating. Um, but I specifically wanted to talk about in January, I believe, uh, this guy, Vili Falau, gave an interview um, with Seth Abramovich of The Hollywood Reporter saying that he felt exploited by the movie uh, saying that they, you know, never consulted him. It's, you know, re-traumatizing him. And I will defend to the death Todd Haynes's right to make a movie loosely based with different, you know, it's not literally 
him and Mary Kay Letourneau, they have different names. They, right. it's, you know, it's an act of imagination. But I do think that someone involved, maybe at Netflix, should have just made this guy feel like he was part of it somehow. Mm. And I even heard like uh, conspiracy theories at the time. This is when Charles Melton was really surging. Uh, I heard people theorize or saw them do it so online that this was like a dirty trick by the Robert Downey Jr. campaign. And I totally do not believe that. I don't don't believe that. I don't think that's how these things actually work. And I don't think, you know, Seth Abramovich is a great reporter who obviously thought, okay, this is the natural person to reach out and find out what he thought of this movie. Listen, if I was editing THR at the time, I would have assign that story. That's a good story for THR. The real life person that you've been, that has been dramatized in an Oscar movie, of course. And it wasn't the only, it wasn't the only piece of negative media for a Netflix movie. Remember there was a big LA times expose about Diana Nyad that right when the movie came out saying that she's a fabulist, that she may have made up the whole thing. I mean, there's people that defend her, but that was potentially really damaging for that movie. And the lead still got nominated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, Diana Lyad was at least, like, very involved in that movie. There's nothing you can really do about that, mm-hmm. except, you know, the the historical record is out there. I just think in this case, like, someone whose job it is to do this should have just, like, just, you know, sort of locked it down so that he feels like he was involved and listened to or something. Well, remember, Tanya Harding was side by side with Margot Robbie at the Golden Globes and in all the media coverage. Like they got her on board and that is certainly not a flattering portrayal in I, Tanya of what happened to Tanya Harding. Oh yeah. No, I love I love when like the real person is sort of part of campaign season. Like remember right. the real Philomena, the year of uh. Philomena? She was everywhere. <laughs> she was like side, standing next to Harvey Weinstein, you know, for five months. And everyone called her the real Philomena. Like that was just, that became her name. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's get, move on to best stunt. And this can be an event or a media placement or something that a campaign did to generate attention and it worked. Well, this was an easy one for me. It's uh-huh. definitely Messy the Dog from oh, Anatomy of a okay, Fall. That, that was not my number one. That was my number two. Showing up at Oscar, the Oscar nominees luncheon and turning heads and doing press to, you know, I guess whoever his trainer or whatever, explaining how they taught him to play dead for the camera. Um, I mean, Anatomy of a Fall, the fact that they are running a fun campaign is not the obvious move. And I think right. that it was it was brilliant. It actually dates back to a, a Weinstein strategy. Remember the year of the artist when Uggy the dog was absolutely everywhere? Oh, yeah. We did a photo shoot with Uggy at Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, w- the difference is obviously that the artist is like a, a, a cute, whimsical movie about... Uh, silent film and Anatomy of Falls about a woman who may or may not have pushed her husband out the window. And yet, <laughs> that dog, instant star, to the point where I've actually heard grumblings from like a rival campaign that, you know, the Academy should not have allowed that to happen. Oh, they're pissed. It was such a effective stunt. Other, yeah. other campaigns are very pissed because they're thinking, well, wait a second, this is a prop. Who You're not allowed to bring awards props promo props to the luncheon why couldn't the barbie people show up in a barbie car why couldn't you know the the past lives people give out little hankies to show how you know how much of a tearjerker that movie is it was definitely a problem i was there i was sitting at the press table when messi showed up and it was like 
the media just immediately went over to the dog. It Did you get to pet the doggy? I, I touched the dog very briefly, <laughs> but you know, it was absolutely designed to suck all the attention out of the room and it totally worked. And you know what? More power to them. The funny thing is apparently the Academy told some of the campaigns that they heard it was a service dog. <laughs> but they were told it was a service dog. And they're like, that is bullshit. It is not a service dog. This is a, this is, this dog is fully, you know, there just to promote the movie, but whatever. Um, my vote for best stunt is Paul Giamatti going to In-N-Out Burger after his Golden Globes win. Mm. And this is, he is not the first person to do this. This, I think it dates back. Didn't Hillary Swank go to Astro Burger after she won? Um, I remember seeing some photos of that. Is this really a stunt or did he just want to go to In-N-Out? Okay. It's just, he may have just wanted to go. Thank you, Craig. However, the dissemination of the photos was not an accident. That was something that I know people close to him, they put those out there. And it was 100% on brand for Paul Giamatti. It instantly made him look cool and fun. And it resonated throughout. It, it got attention on him and the movie in a way that people said, oh, yeah, this guy never actually won for Sideways. This guy is like, we need to make up for this. And I feel like they got so much out of that in and out stunt that it kind of carried the movie for a month or two. Speaking of Giamatti, another very clever stunt was withholding the secret of how he did the lazy eye in the holdovers until voting. Uh, Vanity Fair broke the story four days ago. Katie Rich, how the holdovers pulled off Paul Giamatti's lazy eye. I mean, to turn that into like an <laughs> Oscar scoop. season mystery. <laughs> very clever. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com. Best piece of awards-related media. This can be an ironic award, like someone who absolutely embarrassed themselves, or it could be something that was actually very smart. And it could be paid media or earned media, journalism. I'm going to say actually the the Barbie promo for the Oscars with Jimmy Kimmel going to Barbie land. Oh, that's good. I thought that was really fun. It made me excited to watch the show, which I obviously already am, but um, it leaned into Barbie, the biggest hit of the year, and made it really fun. Uh, this was also something that, like the dog, uh, kind of pissed off other uh, campaigns because it seemed like almost the Academy putting their finger on the scale for Barbie. But it's hard. That's super hard because what are you going to do? They did it with Top Gun last year. Like, you got to lean into the movie that made $1.5 billion and might get people to actually watch the freaking show. Yeah, and it's it's traditionally the kind of thing that you might start the show with on the night, but the fact that they did it as this sort of short 
film, you know, ad, essentially, with really funny jokes. Uh, I mean, Ryan Gosling was so funny in it. Yeah. Um, and and sort of comparing, you know, how, it, the, the whole, like, speech about, you know, how you have to be this, but not too much, you know, as, as an Oscar host and sort of, you know, uh, kind of a parody of the America Ferrera speech. I just thought it was really well done. And for the Academy, who has been, you know, hoping and praying for movies like that to be in the Oscar race for years to help the ratings, it was just smart of them to embrace it and just a fun thing to watch. Yeah, the only thing that was interesting is that, you know, there's a week and a half this year between the close of voting and the actual show. And I'm surprised they didn't hold that until like the Tuesday that voting ended, because that would have gotten rid of all the criticism of, you know, tipping the scales and they still would have had a week and a half of promotion, but I guess they wanted to start early. You know, that's an existential moment. They got to get those ratings up. My vote, ironically, for best piece of awards related media, I, I love when studios campaign for people that have absolutely zero chance of getting a nomination. It's like the funniest thing to me when you see those ads and you're like, hmm, how did Sean Levy get Disney to run best director ads for free guy. Like how did that happen? <laughs> um, and this year it's gotta be this ad that was on the corner of my, near my house all through award season for Michael B. Jordan directing Creed three. It was Amazon ran an FYC ad for the director of Creed three, who happens to be the star, Michael B. Jordan. And it sat there throughout the entire award season. And to me, it was, the funniest piece of awards-related media. Hmm. I remember when Creed Three came out and people were talking about it as a real awards contender. Yeah, who was talking about it, r really? Like, you know, prognosticators, I don't know, award, award pundits. But that was like so early in the year. I never thought that would happen. Yeah. I mean, Air, I get it. Air had a legitimate shot. It didn't ultimately end up getting noms, but like, it had a shot. Oh my gosh, I got I got invited to so many like, events and things for air they were really yes quite gunning for it with ben with ben affleck i don't know no, it was just one thing after another that it was in my inbox about air i feel like ben did not give it his all for air like he could mm. have gotten a nomination or two for the film if he was out there more but i feel like he kind of wasn't hmm. i don't know all right so finally let's sum it up who won award season it could be the people who are going to win Best Picture, but it could be anyone else that may have gotten a bump or may have done something most interesting that people are going to remember. Like, who won the season? Yeah, this is a tough one, especially because, you know, we don't know yet who will actually win. So I was trying to think of sort of who has already benefited the most. And mm -hmm. it's not usually the people who are the most famous. It's the people who have clearly gone up, a, you know, a rung in their careers through award season. Yep. Um, so obviously, like, Lily Gladstone is in that, in that category. She was my number two. Yeah. Um, Coleman Domingo is someone who has just finally gotten on, like, the A-list, and he's about to play Joe Jackson in uh, the new Michael Jackson biopic. But I would say my, my number one winner is Celine Song, who has had this, uh, you know, ever since Past Lives came out, it's been this sort of uh, indie darling. It's her first movie. Um, she is now going, she's staying in the A24 sort of family. She's doing uh, this movie Materialist with Pedro Pascal, Chris Evans, and Dakota Johnson next. Um, you know, it, it's something, it's a movie that through awards, the long, long uh, award season, because it came out pretty early in the year, has, has 
put her in in position to be a, a, you know a sort of regular uh indie darling kind of filmmaker hmm that's a good one i have two and i'm not sure who's my number one uh you know i i had them tied but one is sandra hewler the star mm, yes. of anatomy of a fall um i think this makes her I, I know she was a working actress before but this makes her an international star. I feel like she's going to get a big role out of this. And the fact that she was not only nominated for Anatomy of a Fall, but also was a pretty big part of Zone of Interest. Like to be the to be anchors of two best picture nominees in the same year. And I think that's just she's getting the biggest ride out of this. My my other one. Absolutely. Can I just say though, my question is how much international stardom does Sandra Huller want? Like, I could also easily picture her just going back to Germany and starring in plays for Maybe. the next 10 okay, years. Okay, but that's her choice. Like, yeah. good for her if she wants to do that. I just feel like she will have a, a lot of opportunities after this. Um, I've already heard her Absolutely. name, up, you know, whether she wants to do it great or, or not. But, you know, bilingual in the movie, like, it's it's a great performance, and I think she will, she will benefit. The other one, and I know this is obvious, but I do think Nolan may have a one award season. Chris Nolan, this is a guy who obviously has been around a long time, one of the most successful directors of all time. I feel like this is his Spielberg in 93 moment where the commercial guy becomes the auteur who is untouchable. And if he wins and he wins director, this, this will be, I hate to use a rewatchable term, but this could be Apex Mountain for Chris Nolan. Hmm. I think you're right. That's a good choice. And he, like you said, he showed us a different side of him. He, when he gets the, into these interview settings, he's actually shown a lot of personality and maybe Downey helped him or Downey's writing his speeches. I don't know. But he, I feel like has shown us a different side of him. And that is also going to help him in the future. Loose. He feels, he seems loose. Like he's actually enjoying himself. Right. Which not right. everyone pulls off. Yeah. He's always seemed like kind of a bad hang. Um, and I don't know him. I've met him a couple times, but uh, but I, I kind of want to hang out with him after seeing him in all these interviews. Also, a small sprinkle of this person certainly did not win award season, but an honorable mention: Dominic Sessa, just like came out of oh. nowhere, has been killing it on the red carpet. Yes, mm. Dominic Sessa, who somehow thinks he's in like a nineteen seventies Saturday Night Fever <laughs> movie at, at every award show. Love it. God bless. I mean, yeah, I did a, a piece on him, and you know, he was just a senior at the Deerfield Academy and got cast in this movie. And yeah. now he's all over the place. You could think Divine Joy Randolph also gets a huge bump because she's probably going to win, but she was in Dolomite. She's been around. Yeah, and she's had a very steady campaign of just, you know, not pushing it too hard. She has won, like, everything she's been up for. I right. I, I don't know if she's ever lost this this year. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think, I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see sort of, like, how this changes the trajectory of her career. Um, but she's absolutely someone who everyone is embracing fully. And uh, again, you know, for a movie like The Holdovers, maybe Paul Giamatti will win, or maybe this will be the thing that it wins. Interesting. All right. Well, lots going on. Where do you watch the Oscars? From the balcony. I'll you be go? there. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll see you there. You I'm going? Go this year. Yeah, I'll go. All right. Thank you, Michael, for coming on the show. All right. I'll see you there. All right. That's the show. No call sheet today. I want to thank my guest, Michael Schulman. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck, artist Jesse Lopez, and I want to thank you. We will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong. But these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.